Buenos días, familia. Mi corazón está lleno. How great thou art in Spanish, the both languages. That was beautiful. And then new members. A baptism. Man, this is an amazing Sunday. I am so thrilled and honored by your graceful invitation to be part of your Mercy Conference. We've had a wonderful time. We've had good conversations. It's been edifying. And I want to thank all of you that worked so hard to put it together. And I pray that the Lord will bear good fruit from all the work that was put into it. And it is a great privilege that you invited me to preach here. I mean, I'm a tenth. You know, this is a a historic church. This is a church with such a deep impact for the gospel, not only in this city, but throughout the world. So thank you, thank you very much for inviting me to share the word of God with you. I'm here with my wife, Debbie. We've been married for 31 years. We have four grown kids, five grandkids, one on the way. And right now we are empty nesters. It's a great season. In fact, I've also heard it called free birds. I kind of like that one better a little bit. But I love that Debbie is able to join me in ministry trips so she can share and get a firsthand view of what God is doing. So really, really happy about that. I'm originally from Colombia, so I have a big connection with Enrique. We're compatriotas. And I know that Tent has a connection with Colombia, that many of you have perhaps been to Colombia on a mission trip and that uh, you're planning to go back. So I am very, very happy about that. And I'm thrilled that the Lord called me 10 years ago to serve him as the Hispanic Ministries Coordinator for Mission to North America. And he is using us to advance his kingdom. So I want to give you just a brief praise report that will get you even more excited about the work of God throughout the world. So over the last 10 years, we have doubled the number of Hispanic pastors in the PCA. And I remember when I was one of the few. And now we have 54. So I'm encouraged by that. But we need an army of pastors to reach Hispanics here in the U.S., And the Lord is answering that prayer also. We have got 50 committed candidates preparing themselves for the gospel ministry. So that is an answer to prayer. They probably looked at a guy like Hernando and said, if he could do it, I can do it. So I'm just excited about this. I am Thrilled that you, 10th, decided to attempt to begin a ministry to Hispanic and to deaf. Guess what? You are in for a wild ride. It is going to be a lot of fun. You're going to be stretched in ways that you never thought 
possible. Been praying a lot for our time together. Been uh, recruited a team of people to pray for our time together. So I want to share with you the things that God put in my heart for this morning. So if you would turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. 1 Corinthians 9 and verses 19 to 23. This is the word of God. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that you made yourself known to us, that your word is a lamp unto our feet. Father, we pray that as we meet here, that you would speak to each one of us in our hearts, that you would direct us, that you would lift up our eyes to Christ, that you would show us areas in our lives where we might need to repent and to be more conformed more and more into his image. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. My wife, Debbie, and I came to Christ as adults, and it was a radical change in our lives. And one of the things that we really wanted, we wanted our family, we wanted our friends to know Christ. And so we became very zealous evangelists. Zealous, but honestly, not very wise, and perhaps not very loving. The result of those evangelistic efforts early on is that we ended up alienating those that we wanted to reach for Christ. And and that was really frustrating. At the same time, we really, really wanted to know God more. And we were thirsty for new relationships. So every time the church doors were open, the science family was there. We participated in everything, happily. But what happened is that over time, all of our friends, all of our relationships were all Christians. And little by little, so I started to lose my zeal for evangelism, and I started to think 
of the Great Commission as something that is filled out out there by incredibly gifted missionaries that we supported. Well, my thinking about the Great Commission changed radically in 2001. That is when Hugo Chavez took control over Venezuela. And many of the Venezuelans with the means and who looked ahead and had saw what was coming fled Venezuela and they settled in South Florida in a city called Weston. There were so many Venezuelans there that we started calling that Westonzuela. And our church was located right there in that city. And the Lord opened up tremendous doors of opportunity to minister to Venezuelans. We saw people coming to Christ. We saw people thirsty to know him more. It was an accelerating time of ministry. God brought the mission field to us. And what I realized is that that was Acts 17. God doing what he said as he does. He moves people around. For what purpose? That they might hear the gospel. What's the good news? Well, God is still doing that. God is still moving people around. But he's not just moving immigrants and refugees. He is also moving U.S. citizens People that come into Philadelphia, this great city, for a new job, to earn more money, to study, and they settle in their neighborhood. Why are they here? To hear the gospel, perhaps from you as an individual, or from you as a body. That is really, really encouraging. Today's text teaches us principles so how, that we might be able to relate to those who don't know Christ. And it is a really challenging text. It's going to challenge us to adapt our lives. Now, these principles can be easily misunderstood. They can be misapplied, and then they can lead to a lifestyle that is unhealthy. So I want us to consider the things that Paul is not saying. So he is not saying that becoming all things to all people means that if you want to reach thieves, you become a thief. He is not saying that if you want to reach prostitutes, that you ought to become a prostitute. He is not saying that if you want to reach sailors, that you got to start cursing like a sailor. And I don't want to skip over a hot topic in our denomination. He is not saying that we should ordain same-sex attracted pastors in order to reach the gay and the homosexual community. So, so please hear me. God is not calling us to do anything that is immoral, anything that violates his commands. But he is 
calling us. He is telling us that we should be willing to adapt our lives radically to the point that we become all things to all people. Now, perhaps for some of you, the idea of a change in your lifestyle seems like something exciting because your life may be kind of boring right now. But my guess is the majority of you are pretty happy with the way that your life is going right now. And that you really are not too keen on making changes, adjustments, especially the type that involves a sacrifice. I want to ask you to really be open to the Holy Spirit, to how he leads you, to the things that he might show about your life right now, how you're living, and changes that you might need to make for the sake of winning others to Christ. So we're going to look, first of all, at the cost of what I'm asking you to do. Then we're going to go over the principles, and finally, we're going to look at the reward. So let's start with the cost. Okay, buckle your seatbelts. It is expensive. Think about going to the gas pump every time. Sticker shock. That's what I'm about to tell you. Verse 19. For though I am free from all... I have made myself a servant to all. And I really prefer the translation, I have made myself a slave to all. Now, Paul knew that he was a free man. He wrote about it, he taught about it, and he was free from all. He was free from the burden of trying to earn his salvation by his good works. He was free from the bondage of people pleasing. And he was never in danger of losing his freedom because it was based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now that amazing gospel freedom It's yours if you're a believer in Christ, and it is mine. We are free. And guess what? As Americans, we love freedom. Freedom is one of our highest values. I remember an old Mel Gibson movie, Braveheart, If you remember William Wallace, right at the end, he's getting ready to have his head chopped off, and he could have asked for mercy. But what did he say? Freedom! That scream of freedom reverberates all throughout our society. And we see it played out in the pandemic, right? Mask or no mask. Vaccine or no vaccine. But even bigger, in our society, we see it played out. I'm free to decide I'm a man or I'm a woman. Or, I don't know if you've heard the new national anthem, 
The new national anthem is you do you. You decide what is best for you. You are free. What is fascinating here is that the Apostle Paul, a truly free man, became a slave. That is huge. Now, when we think of slaves here, we think of people who were taken against their will, forced to do things that they didn't want to do. Basically, we're talking about exploitation. That is not, that is not the type of slave that Paul became. Nobody forced Paul to become a slave against his his will. Now, in the Old Testament, slavery was different than what slavery, what comes to mind when we think about slavery. And slaves back then were people who sold themselves primarily to pay off a debt. So... God had commandments of how these slaves should be treated. And slave owners were commanded to treat their slaves humanely. And after six years, they were supposed to set them free. Now, what happened is that sometimes slaves, at that point that they were going to be released as free people, looked at their master and said, man. This person has been so good to me, so loving to me. I would rather live as a slave to him than to be a free man. And that is what Paul did with his freedom. First of all, he became a slave to Jesus Christ. He looked at Jesus and he saw the most beautiful, worthy person that you can imagine. It filled his heart. And he said, I want to be his slave. I want his will to be my will. Everything that is pleasing to him, I want to do. I want to be his slave. He knew that the Lord Jesus came to seek the lost. And so therefore, Paul became a slave to all men. That is a radical, radical use of freedom. Does that idea of becoming a slave to all men seem scary to you? It really is very scary. Because becoming a slave to all people means that you put everything that you want, all your goals, your activities, in subjection to other people. That is really upside-down living. And our society is always pushing the contrary. Our society tells us, you put yourself first. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I weren't out to dinner in a restaurant. And there was, there was a mother. She was talking to her son, but really she was talking to the entire restaurant. And she talked to her son and said, you put yourself first. Because if you don't put yourself first, who's going to do it? Right? But what does the Bible teach us? 
The Bible teaches us the complete opposite. The Bible teaches us put others first. And in that, in putting others first, you will find fulfillment and you will find purpose. Now, the big question for us is, well, how do we lay down our lives for others? And verses 20 to 22 give us general principles. Now, these principles do not cover every single situation. God is so much more adventurous than that. He invites us to enter into unexplored territories. He invites us to pray, to seek wisdom. He invites us to have courage. He invites us to trust in him. Now, before we get into the principles, we need to talk about the law, because Paul mentions the law quite a bit in this small passage. So there are three uses of the law that John Calvin taught us, and they are fundamental for human flourishing. The first use of the law is a mirror that reflects God's righteousness and reflects our sinfulness. And that use of the law is meant to drive us to Christ in repentance and faith. The second use of the law is the civil use, and that is meant to restrain evil and to secure civil order. If it were not for God's grace, Vladimir Putin would not be the exception. He would be the rule. So God's law is gracious. The third use of the law is the law of Christ, which is Christians. It is our obedience, grateful obedience to God's moral law. Not because we need to earn our salvation. Christ accomplished that. It is grateful obedience that reflects God's character and that loves others well. Now, Paul, he delighted that he was under the law of Christ. And therefore, to the Jews who were under the law, he became as one under the law. To the Gentiles who were outside of the law, he became as one outside of the law. And to the weak, he became weak. Okay? Let's now look at the principles. First, how did Paul lay down his life to minister to the Jews? The Jews were God's special people. God protected them and set them apart because the Messiah was going to come through them. And in a special act of grace, God gave the Jews both civil, ceremonial, and moral laws, and he commanded them to obey them. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is that promised Messiah, that he fulfilled all of the requirements of the law, And as a result, civil and ceremonial laws are no longer binding. Now, many of the Jews still practiced the ceremonial laws. Now, Paul, he knew that he was not obligated to practice these laws, but he did it anyway with the purpose of removing barriers so that he might be able to win Jews to Christ. 
For example, he had Timothy, a Greek, circumcised before he went to minister to Jews. Now, there's not a lot of Jews around us, but you can think of people who are religious fitting into that same category. And religious people are those who live under the heavy burden of trying to earn God's approval by their good works and their moral living. And as, as Christians, what God is calling us to do is to take on burdens so that we might be able to build relationships with them. Now, these burdens, they're going to come in many different shapes and forms. But more than likely, they're going to include two very expensive commodities. Time and money. In Acts chapter 21, we see the Apostle Paul doing this. He went to purification rites to minister to Jews, and then he paid for four Jews. So he spent a lot of money to remove barriers in order that he might be able to reach the Jews. Debbie and I experienced this type of sacrifice, this type of love, when we were in college. So we were not believers at the time, and I was friends with a guy by the name of Jose Ortega. And whenever I found myself at FIU, Florida International University, with a, just hanging out, nothing to do, I would call Jose before text. Go, hey, Jose, what are you up to? Nothing. Want to hang out? Yes. He'd come over every time, and he would always buy coffee or lunch, whatever it was, right? And I thought to myself, <laughs> Jose's never busy. He's always available. Well, come to find out later that what happened is every time the phone rang, and it was me, he dropped everything that he was doing and went to the campus to meet with me. What did that do? Well, it removed barriers so that when he shared the gospel, we were ready to hear. So we really experienced that type of love. God's calling you to do that as well take on additional burdens. All right, let's talk about now how Paul laid down his life for the Gentiles. God is so unpredictable, right? Paul, the Jewish of Jews, the biggest, the most Jewish person, and God calls him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Gentiles were people without the law of God except what God wrote in their hearts. And they suppressed that, and what happened is that for the Gentiles, like anything was permissible. And here we have Paul, a Jew that was raised with a lot of traditions, things that brought him great comfort, things that ordered his life. And he had to be willing to put those things aside to reach the Gentiles. So he sacrificed his preferences. And that is not easy to do because what do we like? We like comfort. We like routines. 
And here, this passage is calling us to become uncomfortable to reach Gentiles, to reach those that are not believers. Now, we don't use that term Gentile very often, right? But we can think of Gentiles as those people who don't have any religious convictions. In today's day and age, you would call them the nuns, right? No religious preference. And there are lots and lots of nuns on all around us. Now, these are people that mistrust religion in general. They are not likely to accept your invitation to come to church. They're not likely to accept your invitation to a small group or to an outreach event. The sacrifice that you need to be willing to make here is to go into their spaces to sacrifice your preference to relate to them there to build that trust. Now, again, please hear me. I am not asking you to do anything that is immoral, anything that violates God's law. But I am asking you something bigger and deeper. I am asking you to love others sacrificially. And love takes us further away. It stretches us more than we want to. So love has got to be the motivation to relate to those who do not know Christ. Now, let's look at the third group of people that Paul wanted to reach and how he laid down his life for them. And here we're talking about the weak. Now, we're not talking about the physically weak here. We're talking about those who are spiritually weak. Perhaps people who at some point or another, they were part of a church and something happened and they are no longer attended and they drifted away. Vacillating when it comes to their faith. And there are many, many people like that around us. And the group that came to my mind specifically were Christian kids raised up in the church who are now living as prodigals and they are ensnared by the world. And there is a huge battle for their souls and reaching them Loving them might be the most difficult. It might call for us to do both things, to take on additional burdens and to give up our preferences. I believe the most important thing we can do with, that, with them is to live out the gospel in front of them, to show them the difference that Christ makes in our lives particularly when things are not going well, particularly when you're suffering. They need to see that. So there it is. Be in all things to all people. Give up your freedom. Take on additional burdens and give up your preferences. But that's not the whole story. There is a reward for doing all of this. Let's look at it. It's in verse 23. 
Verse 23 says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Sharing with others in the blessings of the gospel is the reward. It may not seem like an amazing reward, but it is. Let, let me give you an illustration. I have a younger brother. His name is Danny, and he is an Iron Man. Now, an Iron Man is somebody that does a triathlon, is 25 miles, no, 2.5 miles swimming, 114 miles on a bike, followed by a marathon. So my brother Danny completed his second Ironman, and he said, I'm not doing any more Ironmans. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pour into my kids, and I am going to help them compete in this event. So what happened is he knew the joy of training, the joy of persevering, the joy of finishing the, the fit, crossing the finish line. And he wanted for his kids to experience that very same thing. And Debbie and I were there in Houston when Joseph, one of his middle sons, completed his first 5K. Now, Joseph, if you look up in the dictionary, couch potato, Joseph's picture is right there, couch potato. And so he trained, he crossed, he finished, and Joseph was excited. I have to say he was excited. But my brother Danny, my brother Danny was ecstatic to see Joseph experience what he had experienced. And that is what Paul is telling us here. He knows God deeply. He knows God passionately. And his reward, the reason he became a slave, the reason he became all things to all men, is to see others experience God in the same way that he experienced God. That is an amazing reward. Let me ask you, how is your relationship with God now? In this moment, are you growing? Are you maybe kind of stuck? Um, too busy to think about it? Or uh, maybe it's on autopilot? Or maybe you're just angry. Angry that things did not turn out the way that you wanted them to turn out. Or perhaps you are experiencing his love so deeply right now that even in the middle of suffering and pain, you feel compelled to tell others of his love. Think about this. Is there anything in your life right now that is more important to you than knowing God more? If there is, I'm afraid you're not going to be ready to make the sacrifices that I'm calling you to make. It's going to be too costly. But my prayer for you 
is that your relationship with God right now is so vibrant, so alive, so meaningful that becoming a slave to others is a joy and not a burden. And you have amazing opportunities in front of you with the launching of Hispanic and Deaf ministry, as well as all the people that are moving to Philly thinking that they're here for some other reason. But the truth is that you have an opportunity to win them to Christ, to share the gospel with them. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you loved us while we were yet your enemies, that you took us who were not a people and made us into your people, that you adopted us into your family and that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. May that reality be so active in our lives that we willingly become all things to all people. And Lord, we long to see more worshipers. Use us, use this church that more and more would come to save in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.